Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you after the Celtics take Game 7 from the Milwaukee Bucks. They beat them 109-81 to in what will forever be known as the Grant Williams game. I believe it was on the five-year anniversary of the Kelly Olynyk game. I think Grant Williams out Kelly Olynyk. Kelly Olynyk. Grant was... Absolutely phenomenal from three-point land. The Bucks basically begged him to shoot, and shoot he did, just attempting, I think it was 18 threes in this game. Jay, or like, was that, that had to be the most shocking thing to come from this game seven. It was wild, but also <laughs> the way that the Bucks played defense against him, it made sense. They... He didn't shoot enough threes. He, he in fact, started the game... Made one and then missed a couple and passed one up and then got a, like a very stern talking to from Ime Yudoka uh, and he <laughs> ended up with 18 attempts. And and I'll tell you what, the Bucks basically decided, okay, he Grant Williams has missed threes for basically three games. He looked a little gun shy during game six and they decided Brooke Lopez will guard him. Brooke Lopez will take away everything at the rim, which he did, by the way. That part that part of the plan worked. And for a while, it looked like Grant wouldn't make enough shots to punish them for that. And like the first quarter was was ugly for the Celtics. They were probably lucky to be down six at the end of the first quarter. Grant Williams and Derek White were taking all of them all of their shots, which isn't very good. Um but they just kept working it and working it. And then Grant never lost confidence. Or maybe if he did lost co- lose confidence, he just got it back. He just shot through it. And eventually they all went down. But really, I mean, the the defense was special again. Like that was just a powerhouse defensive series by the Celtics to limit Giannis of all people to the percentages that he shot, he had fewer points than field goal attempts, which is unbelievable. The second half, four for 16 from the field, just eight points. Like, their defense was just so locked in. And and as much as Grant Williams deserves credit for making seven threes, which I believe was more than the entire Bucks roster, um, like – Oh, yeah, they were uh, four of 33, uh, so just a huge disparity there just between Grant and the Bucks. The Celtics, on top of uh, Grant's seven threes, had the other players on the teams had 15 of their own, including four from Peyton Pritchard in the fourth quarter, which I think, Jay King, you predicted in our last podcast uh, might happen. Didn't you predict the five gr- a from big Jason Grant game? Tatum. No, no, I, I went with the uh, the big Derek White game, so I can't say Ooh. I, I, uh, I won that he, one. He almost uh, <laughs> made two out of his ten shots. <laughs> he knocked down one very big, very big three in the moment. But you're right. The defense was the, the major story here, holding the Bucks to 81 points total. and But really in the, the second, third, and fourth quarter, it was just – Dominant 17 points in the second quarter, only 21 in the third, 17 again in the fourth. And 
The Bucks really didn't have an answer, and it felt like finally just the exhaustion of trying to go against this Celtics team caught up to Giannis uh, in the second half because he was just after just an absurd just uh, first half from him where he put up a casual 17, 12, and 7. Um, he was just not the same player in the second half, just not taking nearly as many shots, missing some. He smoked a couple of bunnies there. He was 4 of 16 in the second half, only scored 8 points. And other than Drew Holiday driving and making making some plays by himself, the Bucks really just didn't have – an answer and you they only made four threes in the entire game one of 14 for them in the second half like it just allowed the Celtics to really pack the paint and make Giannis's life extremely difficult and the Bucks just really couldn't do anything in the second half yeah and I think I mean Ime Odoka thought that the cumulative effect of the way they played Giannis for the whole series kind of grinded them down in the second half of of game seven and i i think that might be at least partially true like they decided early on they were going to play Giannis one-on-one a lot and obviously they're going to help out and and try to make things as difficult as possible for him during those one-on-one opportunities but they also just wanted to to turn him into a scorer make him work and take away everybody else and you know the the four for thirty three from threes is just ridiculous. They were able to completely shut off the arc while also limiting Giannis's efficiency, and and that's like normally you have to choose one, right? Like you're either gonna stop Giannis, or they didn't stop Giannis. He averaged thirty five points a game or whatever it was during the series. He, <laughs> he had the most historic like. First player to have 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists. Yeah, in the he series. had he ended up with 25, 20, and nine. <laughs> like he, he was ridiculous this series. Um, but they were able to limit his efficiency. They were able to keep him to below. Like basically, I, I didn't look at the numbers after Game Seven for the series, but right around 45 percent from the field for the series, which for him is ice cold. Um, and they were also able to. To limit everybody else. like there was never a Wes Matthews game in this series. There was never <laughs> there was never a Grayson Allen game in the series. Like Pat Connaughton was really good most of the series, um, but there was like the supporting cast. The Celtics never really let those guys get going, and and to do that while limiting, yeah, like that's just so tough, and it just shows just how good defensively the Celtics were during the series obviously if Chris Middleton plays that would have been a lot more difficult to to pull off um but still like what they were able to do to the Bucks and how they were able to to limit Giannis's efficiency just a bit uh it, it really really was impressive yeah, and I mean, like obviously losing Middleton for the Bucks, like that, you slow down Giannis. They just they, they didn't have that many players out there. We saw George Hill get a lot of minutes uh, since he came back for energy. We saw just way too many minutes for Grayson Allen. There were just not a lot of solutions out there for the Bucks. It felt like in that um, second half, and this game like obviously you have to give credit to the bucks and Giannis for forcing this to seven games um but this is like kind of what i expected more so heading into the series just cuz i felt like the celtics if they didn't turn the ball over really because their defense was so dominant and because they held uh the bucks to pretty much a, a, a like under 100 in most of the games um i thought they would have that advantage if they don't cough up that that one in game 5 i don't think this should have gone seven, but you have to give the Celtics for credit for all you have to you have to shame them initially for coughing up game five and completely choking <laughs> that away because that was a giant choke. They're like objectively that was an awful, awful game to lose. But to come back from that, win a huge game six on the road behind Jason Tatum, and then just come out and be dominant in game seven, uh, it just shows a lot of of will and just like they were able to come together and do the right thing. And um, the wild thing is like the, I just went back and rewatched the second half. 
the Celtics came out in the third quarter, knocked down a couple threes, and basically just were in control the rest of the game. The Bucks didn't really make this game close uh, after like two minutes went by in the third quarter. It was kind of like uh, it was definitely nerve wracking there as a Celtics fan because you just like knew what what like you had kind of had Game Five looming, but really as soon as the Celtics came out and pushed that lead to about twelve in the first two minutes of the third quarter, they just dominated the rest of the game. Yeah, and. You know, obviously, when when Tatum went out with his fourth foul with it was like midway through the third quarter. I forget exactly how much time was left. Um, Seven, seven forty four. Yeah. And they were up 10. They were up 10. And that could have been trouble time. Like that was a big call. That was it wiped away what would have been an and one gave him his fourth. Took away like the Celtics were really in charge then, but it could have gone the other way at that point. And I thought the defense was just so sharp, even while he was on on the bench. And you know, by the time he got back in, they'd actually added to the lead, and he was out for a while. He he was out for a pretty extended stretch. Celtics. He was out for the rest of the quarter. Yeah, Celtics went one for six. At, at one point during that stretch, and the Bucks still couldn't get any closer. And I think Drew Holiday made a bunch of shots to kind of keep the Bucks within like 10, the 10 point, 12 point range to make it so that they weren't completely out of the game during the third quarter. Um, but even after Tatum went down, like the Celtics still didn't give up any ground. And I felt like the Bucks, that was their last chance. Um, and once they didn't get any closer there, like going into the fourth, it was basically over, even though game five, you know, you don't really want to say that. Um, but it just felt like if they were going to make a push, that was when it would have come. Yeah. I mean, that was also, it was hard for anyone to get in the flow of that game because, um, Kane Fitzgerald was, uh, you know, having a moment there. I think he called five offensive fouls in a row on what felt like five straight possessions. And then just like the wettest floor in the league. What was going on with the floor tonight? We had we had floor delays for pretty much the entire game. It was ridiculous. Uh, um I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the answers for that? Come on. <laughs> How insane do you think it was insane for the Bucks to just be like Grant Williams, you're a forty one percent three point shooter? You could just be as open as you want. I don't think it was that crazy because if you are going to pick the guy on the like on the Celtics starting lineup who you want to beat you, I feel like that is what you. But he's a forty-one percent. Like, like he was the sixteenth best three-point shooter by percentage in the entire league this year. Yeah, but he only shot thirty-nine percent from three tonight. So it feels like the Bucks may have done their job. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I get like wanting to make one of the Celtics supporting cast guys beat you, but why Grant? Like, and and it could have gone the other way. Like there was a point he was two for seven, and he was at risk of shooting them out of the game. Like honestly. And in a game seven, all it takes is one bad game for the strategy to work. Um, but if you but if you think about it, like look at the starting lineup, like they had Al Horford kind of beat them in game four. Like that's who they picked. Is your your other option is going uh, maybe letting Marcus Smart take a bunch of shots? What if they like, what if they had put Brooke the, Lopez on Marcus Smart? That's the only other like, that would have been think, interesting solution. But then you're basically pulling Brooke Lopez oh completely away from the rim. Um, and that's where I feel like in the first quarter, the Celtics were – they're only in the game because they made uh, basically five threes. But they were not shooting that well from deep. And I thought the Celtics like kept on challenging Giannis and Brooke Lopez at the rim. And it was not going well for them. And so like, I kind of like get the decision of trying to keep those guys closer to the paint. Uh, but – I think that's just kind of like the the matchup issues that they had this series because we saw in games I think five and six they really went away from Brooke Lopez they put Bobby Portis in there 
to try to get just like a, a rangier guy who's not as a uh, can kind of cover the corners more. We saw some lineups with Giannis at the five, and I think that just because of the Bucks' lack of wing depth, that really makes them vulnerable to Jason Tatum playing against George Hill and Grayson Allen, and so. It's kind of a calculation. It's like, okay, do we want to let Grant Williams shoot or do we want to like just uh, make sure we get the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands? And I, if I'm the, if I'm having to make a choice there, I feel like you, if you're the Bucks, you choose Grant Williams every time. And you know what? If you, if you honestly, if you went into this game and said Grant Williams is going to take 18 threes, I feel like the, you probably would not thought that was going to go well for the Celtics. Yeah. And I, I think that's partly, that's the difference between, the Bucks defense and the Celtics defense is that the Bucks felt like they needed to give up something to take away all the things they wanted to take away. And the Celtics decided or they didn't have to make that sacrifice. You know, like they were able to pack the paint on Giannis and still hold the Bucks to four made three pointers. And and so I just feel like like the versatility of the Celtics defense was really the difference because the Bucks defense is awesome. Like what, Brooke Lopez is spectacular at what he does. He's he's a force in the paint. But they just decided basically they couldn't take everything away, and they were going to give up Grant Williams threes, and like it's it's kind of crazy <laughs> to try that, <laughs> but but also I. Like, I I guess it was just the risk. They they were betting that Grant wouldn't be able to shoot his way through it, and but he did, and he had that confidence. And um, but yeah, that that was like the Bucks. They are great at what they do, but if you force them out of that, they didn't have the perfect response. Um. And the Celtics just didn't have to give up enough to give up as much. And that, that was really the difference in the series. After game five, I mean, that could have broken the Celtics. Like, <laughs> that was... A, it almost broke Marcus Smart. He didn't sleep at all. <laughs> he, he should never sleep again. That was a horrible loss. Smart, by the way, another... He didn't shoot well, um, but 10 assists, two turnovers, like just another really solid game. For Marcus Smart, I thought he did what the Celtics needed him to do. Game six and game seven, just a great response from him after a really rough couple minutes down the stretch of game five. Um, but I think, I think the last couple of games just showed the Celtics' growth. Where to to beat that team on the road just takes a lot. To to run them over in game seven takes a lot. And this this felt more like a series of survival than like actually winning. Like you just got to escape it. And and the bot like they were championship championship tested team. And every time this like every time the Celtics offense got impatient, it seemed like the Bucks just capitalized on it. But but whenever the Celtics like stayed with stayed with it. And by the end, I felt like they were staying with it more and more often. Um, they were able to get pretty good shots and and allow their defense to just be really, really strong in the half court. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, they like second half, they only have uh, four turnovers. I feel like they came out early and kind of struggled with that regard, and the Bucks, as the Bucks do, would make them pay. But 
it felt like they had the winning formula the whole series. It was just like they're gonna the defense showed up every single time, but it's just like as long as they were not rushed and played like deliberate offense, made the extra pass, um, they were able to come out and kind of put themselves in a position to win. Whether even if it was in game three, they kind of melted away in game five, and then just really dominated in game six and seven. Uh, the only, I mean, I, the only other thing I can talk about in this game is, uh, I mean, Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard just had not shot the ball well for the entire, pretty much the entire series. I wonder who I could will, have seen that coming. Only only a wise man who's been covering this Boston Celtics team for a decade now maybe have, uh, would have predicted that. But did you predict Peyton Pritchard knocking down a three and then screaming at the bench, this is what I do? Did you see that celebration uh, in your prediction? Though? I feel like that's something we would have predicted in the season preview we do with Corrales. When, <laughs> when we just say stupid things that won't ever happen. <laughs> like that, that was an awesome moment. And uh, to his credit, it is what he does. That is that is his main thing. The, the, knocking down threes. The man knocks down threes. And he has. A, I feel like he has a tendency. Maybe it's just because he plays at the beginning of the fourth quarter a lot of the time. But I feel like a lot of the time as the Celtics are like beginning to pull away, Pritchard hits a bunch of shots. Is that is that right? Am I just um I just I don't I just feel know. like that's I, the case. I feel like he does hit shots in bunches. Like I feel like if he hits one, he normally hits like two out of his next three. He I feel like he always hits like three or four in a row. And so maybe that's adding to the Celtics pulling away, but he definitely feels like a little bit of a streaky shooter in that regard. Um, but as soon as he hit his third three, I think the step back, that's when the game was like immediately over. That's when I like was able to relax a little bit. Did you happen to catch the scene on Causeway Street after the game? I saw a video of it. I'll tell you what, I, I caught the scene on Causeway Street like two hours before the game. And even then there was just a juice that, Boston rarely has. Yeah, I think everyone knew because this was a second round game seven, but it was the winner like had a really whoever won had a pretty good chance of winning the finals and the Celtics now have a pretty good chance of winning the finals. Like that was how big that game was today. And I think I think Celtics fans seem to recognize that. Oh, absolutely. There's a definite like Walking into the building, I think like 45 minutes beforehand, it's kind of like a, like a definitely an energy, a calm kind of like a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of excitement. After the game, that's the most like the completely, the Causeway Street was completely shut down. People partying in the streets. A man in an Al Horford jersey jumped up onto a street sign and was partying, which I don't think Al would approve of. That's how, how do you party act. on a street sign? He was, he was just like, there's a Yankee suck chance. Was he standing on top of the street chance. sign? Was he hanging from he the street sign? He was standing basically like, next. He was standing on something that basically is like it read Causeway Street and then this man's jersey. Uh, and there was just, it was just bedlam in the crowd. It was like, a, it was like, it looked like the Deer District or like all those outdoor things, but it was just like an unplanned thing outside Causeway Street. It was more than I expected, and but like deservedly so, uh, as you mentioned, because like this series felt like it was such a test, and it was taking down the defending champs, and I think just like objectively the best player in the NBA right now. And so uh, I think Celtics fans deserve to kind of like have that bit of a celebration. The wild thing is though, they're they're starting the Eastern Conference Finals in two days. They got Game One against the Miami Heat. In Miami on Tuesday, and yeah. that is a quick turnaround. And Robert Williams was back today, but he did not play, so that's not a great sign for his health. There was a, a report out there from Joe Sway that maybe he saw Marcus Smart leaving the arena in a walking boot. I have no idea what the what to think of that. But as much as this is a huge win for the Celtics, they got a, they got another very difficult series coming up starting Tuesday night in Miami. Yeah, and that will be a lot too. Um, it was. I, I feel like the Celtics needed 
parts of this series, like the the you can learn from a series like that. Um, just just the patience it requires and the the willingness to stick with the game plan, especially offensively. Defensively, Celtics are usually pretty great. Um, but offensively, like they can have hiccups. They can have moments where they try some bullshit, to put it very analytically. And and I just feel like like the last couple of games forced them to reach a level of like just detail that that they haven't always been able to reach. And and I think back, I mean, the series two seasons ago against Miami, same Miami team they're about to play is probably the, the best example of that, right? Like the Celtics were in every game in the fourth quarter, I think leading like five out of the six games in that series in the fourth quarter. It was ridiculous. And and just kind of crumbled down the stretch of every game. Just didn't have enough of every in every game. And I I just feel like they're more prepared for that now. Um they are they're more ready to handle that and the physicality. Like Giannis is so physical that they're gonna they're gonna see Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and be like <laughs> these little children these little children <laughs> but the, i'll tell you what that, that heat defense is no joke man like to have pj tucker jimmy butler bam out of bio kyle lowry all on the same team is just a lot and and they're they're a lot different from from milwaukee because milwaukee there was always like somewhere you knew you could go for like today it was grant williams in pre- some previous games, there's Al Horford. Like you knew, you could go to a certain thing to get a shot. Maybe it wasn't the best shot, but it was at least a shot. Miami is going to be like a lot of switch everything. Bam Adebayo can switch on the point guards. Even it's just going to be a different series in the way that the Celtics need to attack. So it'll be interesting to see how they try to solve the the different problems that that the the Heat pose versus you know, having Brooke Lopez and Giannis at the rim, um, but not as much versatility like the Bucks had. Yeah, and it's also gonna be interesting just like like what the self like the heat offense is just not nearly as much as the Bucks. Like they just don't have as much of a dynamic pl- score. I'm expecting a, a, a bunch of rock fight games where it's like more scores in the the eighties and nineties. Uh we don't know Kyle Lowry's kind of has not really played, um, but the Struce is always loose. Gabe Vincent has filled in and um, played nicely. Spolstra, I think, is the is uh, the best coach in the league, and it's just going to be a totally different kind of uh, vibe where I, it's absolutely going to be a defensive battle. But the thing I think the Celtics have struggled with the most, and just I think the hardest defense to go against, as seen as teams that try to play the Celtics are teams that can switch everything um, teams that muck it up like that. And I think the Celtics struggled somewhat in game five when this, uh, the Bucks started doing that. And it's going to be interesting to see how they try and attack that because you know, Miami's just not going to leave guys open in the corner. And, you know, also, you know, that Spoh's going to throw in some nonsense zones in there. Two years later, at the same time. how scarred are you of the Miami Heat zone defense? I'm still, I'm still quite scarred. I'm just <laughs> waiting for the moment in game one where it really pisses me off because the Celtics go scoreless for five minutes straight because they just don't know how to deal with whatever zone that they put in there. Um, I think the thing that you give you confidence as a Celtics fan, and I think Tatum mentioned this in his post game. Um, I think maybe, maybe it was you, the kid, who even asked them about it. Is like what's changed from this year compared to like the last time he went on a run like this in the bubble. And he's just talked about, I think he focused on like his maturity and just his body and his preparation in that way. But I just think his um, growth as a playmaker and like the guy you want with the ball in his hands at the end of the game, or even just in uh, going one-on-one against a guy, I think Tatum is just that much better and that much more prepared to kind of be that guy and go up against the Miami defense than he was two years ago in the bubble. Yeah. I think they all, they all are. Um, 
like Marcus Smart is more willing to pass up the difficult shot. Uh, Jalen Brown is more willing to run the offense. Uh, Al Horford is in town, which that (laughs) (laughs) exists. That could be a really big help, especially against Bam Adebayo. Robert Williams then was like just a bit piece. I think he was behind Ennis Cantor in the rotation. So a lot has changed in two years. Uh, it's just a totally different Celtics team and a totally more physical Celtic. Like two years ago, Bam Adebayo kicked the Celtics' ass. Yeah. Like he was just too much for Daniel Tice. He was too much for all of the Celtics. And I don't think he'll be as like he's he's going to be great in any series just because he's very good. But I don't think he'll have the physical advantage in this series that he did back then. The Celtics are just big and strong everywhere in a way that they just weren't two seasons ago. Um, like it's it's just a, yeah, a totally just different roster. Not yeah, I mean, not having Kemba is a, he's kind of a smaller guy who the Celtics were really relying on this series. Now everyone on the roster is just a, a bit bigger, and it feels like the Celtics are more of a physically tough team. And um, everyone's just more uh, more capable. It's going to be a, a fascinating series. I do think the Celtics. I would. I mean, looking at like early odds, are the favorite in the series. Uh, that being said, Miami does have home court. Miami was the best team in the Eastern Conference in the regular season. I don't remember anything that happened in any Celtics Miami games in the regular season from which to draw any information on. I feel like Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry missed one. Um, but other than that, I just don't remember what happened. You, you're the journalist. Is, can there anything we learn from the Celtics Heat uh, regular season matchups at this point? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> pro- probably not. I, I do, I do think this the Heat like they're gonna have to choose like who's in their rotation because. Victor Oladipo kind of emerged um, during the – he has emerged during this playoffs as an option. Duncan Robinson has kind of faded out of the rotation. I don't know how much they're going to be able to score against the Celtics if they don't put a lot of shooting on the court. And they can get some of that from Max Struess. They can get some of that from Gabe Vincent. Um but I do wonder if they'll have to make rotation changes just to get a little bit of space against the Celtics. And especially if Lowry's not right. Because if Lowry's right, that changes things. Um, but if he's still bothered by the hamstring and they already have Jimmy Butler who doesn't like to shoot threes and Bam Adebayo who doesn't shoot threes, and like it, it would just be a lot on their offense to try to score if they don't have a lot of shooting around those guys. But but we'll see. That that's that's like the the one tactical thing I think Spolstra will be most challenged by as he looks looks ahead to this series. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/creditcard. Yeah, and I think the player that's uh, going to be very interesting to me uh, is Tyler Hero because he is he is a very dynamic offensive weapon. He is probably their best. If Lowry's hurt, like the guy with the ball in the hands who can like make a play, who you kind of fear the most just in terms of volume shooting and scoring, but he is not great defensively. And if the Heat's offense struggles enough that they kind of need to consistently put Hero out there, that is definitely a switch that I feel like the the Celtics are going to hunt and that you're just trying to get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown one-on-one going up against him. And I don't know what the best, especially if Lowry's out, what like the best five-person uh, lineup is for the, uh, the Heat right now. 
And that's just like one of the things that makes the Celtics so good uh, this season is that like they can have, you can, their best five lineup, whether it's kind of the, the core three guys and uh, Grant and Horford, or maybe Horford and White, or who knows what they get out of Robert Williams in the series. They can be very strong defensively, but then still able to put up uh, buckets. And there's not like a, a liability on that end. With the Heat, and I think we saw this a little bit with the Bucks series, and we saw this with the Nets, is like they either have to go with, I think, a, a more defensive-oriented lineup or a more offensive-oriented lineup, and they don't have as many two-way players as the Celtics, which I think is a huge advantage for the Celtics because they can just play their – whoever they, they deem to be their five best guys. Um, obviously, this is me being biased after the Celtics winning a game seven, um, and maybe my my – uh, minds will change when the Celtics get blown out in game one. But I'm just feeling like whoever they are, their fifth guy or they put out there or even their four, fourth or fifth guy they put out there for the heat after PJ Tucker, Jimmy and Bam is just not necessarily like the, uh, as talented as the kind of guys the, the Celtics put out there as good as Max Struess has been uh, in these playoffs. That That's the death, death knell for you. I feel like that that sentence alone – means Max Struess is having like 37 points in game one. You knew, I mean, he's Max Struess. The Struess is loose. Uh, I mean, I've liked him ever since he was on the Celtics for what, two weeks? Yeah. He's a, he's a solid NBA player. What can I, what can I say? Yeah, he, <laughs> he is. Um, the, I do think it'll be interesting to see, like, I, I think it'll be a different series for the Celtics. Um, and I, I do wonder what their best lineup will be at the end of a game. Like in this series, obviously they went small a lot. They went Marcus Smart, uh, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford. If Robert Williams is back, if he's healthy, then is he in this closing lineup? Is it him and Al Horford in the closing lineup? Is it Grant Williams in the – like I, I just think – they need to solve what the best way to to beat the Heat is, um, and I'm like it. It will be a totally different series, like it's and just a totally different challenge for Adoka. One thing before we totally stop paying attention to Game Seven, I thought Udoka's decision to go to the all shooter lineup in early in the second quarter was just a great decision because the Bucks obviously they decided like we're going to park Brooke Lopez in the middle of the lane and take away everything that the Celtics get at the rim and they're going to have to figure out a way to get the other guys to shoot and Udoka said all right well I'm going to put my five best shooters out there and it's a move he did during the fourth quarter of what was it game three or game two of the Brooklyn series. Um, and that group played like something like six minutes all regular season, maybe not at all in the regular Like it was hardly ever used F at all during the regular season. And Udoka pulled it out again in the second quarter. And the Bucks actually took Brooke Lopez out of the game. They brought him back a little later. But it was clear that when he put all the shooters out there, they were kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> Like this ain't gonna be good for our defense right now, uh, and I I just thought that was a, that was a nice tactical decision by him to take what the game was giving him. You don't usually say that about coaches, but he just decided, okay, they're gonna turn guys into shooters. Like let's fucking put all forty plus percent shooters except Al Horford out there, and like good luck good luck guarding those guys. Basically, is what he said. And I just thought that was probably a turning point in the game. Like that, that was when they started to take control in the second quarter. And I, I just felt that was a really good move. Yeah. And they, that kind of forced, that opened up some shots for Tatum, who just like they put Giannis in a drop and Tatum knocked down some threes. But I thought the Celtics did a good job of not like settling for threes there. Peyton Pritchard had that really nice play where. They basically were – I felt like they were running just to try to attack a switch with uh, Tatum, and they basically just doubled Tatum and let Pritchard drive to the rim, and he had that nice dump off to Al Horford for the dunk. 
Um, it was just like a really like solid, uh, solid stretch there for the Celtics. And it is when they kind of uh, took over. Um, and just looking over my notes now, wild end to that first half with Marcus Mar- Jalen Brown going, going for the shot probably 15 seconds before he should have. It completely just working out for the Celtics because Marcus Smart comes up I, with a ridiculous steal. I couldn't and gets believe that. On the I couldn't believe that. That was such a dumb shot by Jalen Brown. Just the timing of it. It was like a one and a half second differential on the shot clock in the game clock. And he took a shot with like eight seconds left. And it should have really haunted the Celtics. And instead, Marcus Smart just said, give me that. And not only that, <laughs> but they called it a shooting foul, <laughs> which is, like, isn't that the call that they haven't called all season and the call that they didn't give him in game three at the end of it? But they gave it to him. They gave it to him. I was surprised by that I one. I thought he was shooting. I thought he was shooting, but... uh I mean, like, it, yeah, it's a ch- like they finished the half up five where they easily, if Marcus Smart doesn't get that steal, it could have been a, a, a 45-45 game and just like a lot different. But then they really just like came out at the start of the third quarter. It was like Jalen Brown mid-range shot, Grant Williams a wide open corner three, Jason Tatum wide open corner three, Jalen Brown just three, and it's like boom, two minutes, 11-4 run. This lead is now twelve, and it really wasn't close after that. And so I, I felt like the Celtics. I felt just, like they did a great job of attacking Milwaukee's defensive strategy during that. Like they went into halftime and decided, okay, if Brooke Lopez is laying off Grant Williams, this is what we're going to do. And like the first possession, they got a wide open three because they put Grant Williams into the pick and roll instead of what would normally be Al Horford. And I think it was Tatum who hit the first three. And it was because they decided, okay, if Brooke Lopez is going to lay off him, let's let's put Grant Williams in the screening action. I just thought Udoka was really good. And, like, he was great during that series. That was a big-time performance from Emi Udoka. We didn't know what he was going to be like as a co- playoff coach. Welcome to the big leagues, man. <laughs> like, you deserve, you deserve to be there. That was... I, I thought he he pulled a lot of the right decisions throughout the series, um, and obviously he had more options than Budenholzer. Like it was just just easier for Emo Doka to make good adjustments because he had more of them to to choose from. But I I did feel like that the beginning of that third quarter was kind of the Celtics saying, "We saw what you did during the first half. If you keep doing that, we're going to mutilate it." And they did. They absolutely did. Did you see Bud falling on the ground after he? Uh, there's an offensive foul called on George Hill. <laughs> I I did not actually. Um, <laughs> oh, he was so upset. He just actually rolled around on the ground. Another thing that I thought Eme did well. This uh, just has done well during this playoffs, and it's really in contrast to what Brad Stevens used to do as a coach. Brad Stevens would only just praise the other team uh, entirely and just talk about how good they are. Ime is not the same. Ime talks Ime shit. Like, it's not like <laughs> Ime talks shit. It's not like it's Will Chamberlain out there uh, or just like he's like, yeah, we could get that shot whenever we wanted. Ime is very confident and I feel like it definitely – I don't see how the code, like the team doesn't follow that, but um, I've just liked his uh, – just Ime's willingness to – be hard, Oime, but like the Celtics are backing it up. It's been fantastic in the playoffs. He's been a, a great quote so far. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> he, he really does talk shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> he really does. He like says exactly like, but it's like so matter of fact that it doesn't feel like that controversial. He's just like, yeah, no, the Celtics can get whatever shot they want at any time. Yeah. I, like, I, okay. I, yeah. I thought it was funny it. because I tweeted out the quote he had. When people were asking him about the Robert Williams bone bruise, and it, it was Brian Windhorst asked him, like, was that the play when Robert Williams ran into Giannis? And Ime was totally matter of fact, like, no, Giannis ran into Robert Williams. <laughs> and I, I just tweeted out the quote, and I think Bucks fans thought Ime was like saying that Giannis had made a dirty play or something or 
or whatever. And people were just furious, but it was just matter of fact, email. like, like, nah, bro, <laughs> that, that was Yadis running into him. And it, he just, he just speaks the truth. He'll, he'll let you know, like, we're trying to go at Grayson Allen and George Hill and shit, or we're trying to go at, uh, Brooke, Bobby Portis on the perimeter. And he's not, he's not bashful about saying that stuff, which is all, Normally unspoken truths. Like both teams know what the weak links are, who you're go- going after. Um, it's nothing like it's no state secret, but email just say it. <laughs> it, it does crack me up. <laughs> uh, it's just a, it's such a wild change from um, the Brad Stevens era. Um, it is pushing. We're we're close to one a.m. and I'm I'm feeling my um my focus uh just uh dwindling quickly. But I do I be I just have to bring up the fact that the the Phoenix Suns got just absolutely the doors blown off them tonight in a game seven. It's just wild. I don't know how that happened, but Luca had twenty seven points at the half, and the Phoenix Sun had twenty seven points at the half. I know you were probably writing your story. And didn't get to watch that game, but I had it on while I was writing my story. Wild! It was insane. Like, just so how do you react that way in a game seven? How do you score twenty seven points, the same amount as Luka Doncic, as a team, in the first half of game seven? You won sixty six games. You reached the finals last year. It was that was a stunning, stunning game. Like I, I could not have been more stunned, and. From a Celtics perspective, are they the favorites now? I feel like they kind of might be, and it feels like they have been really, like, I don't know, lucky now, but like obviously the Bucks not having Chris Middleton in the series works out in favor of the Celtics. I think they would have to be the favorites just because of what they're – is Jason Tate, I guess – I, most people would probably pick Luka Doncic if you're just going to the best player right now. But if I'm, I know you, it's one of your favorite debates of uh, two way players or not. Like, I think Jason Tatum makes much more of an impact on defense than Luka Doncic does. But given the Celtics combination of star power in Tatum and then the rest of the infrastructure and the kind of team defense around it, it feels like the Celtics would be probably the betting favorite to win the NBA championship right now. Which is uh, kind of wild, just considering the turnaround they've had this season. Not what you expected uh, five months ago. Five thirty-eight has the Celtics with a fifty-one percent chance of winning the finals. I just, I just looked that up right now. Well, I mean, the computers, the computers love uh, the Boston Celtics, but yeah, I think like they have. Once they have t- now taken down the Bucks, I think they absolutely they have a legitimate chance at winning the NBA championship. Um, and the, the Suns four, going I mean, out, I think, helps that too. Because, yeah, but maybe not. I mean, the, the Mavs just put on a powerhouse clinic. And the Mavericks are sort of, I mean, not exactly, but they're sort of built like the Celtics where they have the one superstar and then just an awesome team defense. Like they are really tough to score on, and when you combine that with Luca, and then you add in Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, who can make plays too. Like there, it's a it takes a lot to score against them, and and then they have Luca, <laughs> but and and the Warriors the obviously only, have like, have a lot of resu- like those guys have been there. the The three guys, not everybody else, but the three guys have been there, and. But yeah, I feel like the Celtics, and that's why I felt like this Celt- this game seven was was so big. I, I think it was the biggest game since Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett played LeBron James in game six of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2012. I think it was the biggest game at TD Garden. Oh, uh, absolutely. You think absolutely? Even, like, Even though... Definitely. Like, you could say... Because I think they... Conference finals against two, 2018 against LeBron and the Cavs. But game seven of that conference finals. But even if they win that game and make the finals, like the Warriors were just going to 
just destroy them. Yeah, I think that's the the main thing is that like this game felt much more important because the Celtics have clear championship aspirations and clear like a realistic chance. I feel like that team with uh in 2018 was just going to get absolutely stomped by the the Warriors. Although you never know in those things and like the Isaiah team the year before um obviously Isaiah got hurt and then it's just like wasn't there weren't as big games. So like this feels like the most of like, oh, this team can really go somewhere. It's very, very important that they win this game. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting moving forward. The only other thing, the back to the Mavericks point, is like the one kind of big loss that the Celtics had this year in like the in 2022, other than the famous O'Shea Brissett game, uh, was the Mavericks coming into TD Garden and having that uh, – was it Dimwitty at the buzzer? Like they played just a, a phenomenal game on defense and really slowed down a, a surging Celtics team. So that is me getting wildly ahead of myself and completely overlooking the Eastern Conference and the Miami Heat, which we should not do because the Miami Heat are a very solid basketball team and it's going to be an absolute dogfight here in the Eastern Conference Finals. But uh, we, um, I don't know. I've run out of steam. I've run out of things to say. With uh. We've been going for an hour here. The Celtics won game seven. They have a chance at the championship. I don't know what else to talk about, Jay. Is the Eastern Conference Finals Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is the Eastern Conference Finals potable? If you I'm say it right. If you here. say it right. Yeah, it's potable. Pronounce that shit. The Eastern Conference Finals are potable. <laughs> Anything is potable. Anything is potable. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back after game one. Uh, figure this all out. But uh, tune in then. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.